0: What happened to Lisa Beckel? Well, let's start with the bottom line. There aren't any good suspects in Lisa Beckel's death case, and that's why her case has languished for years with no real conclusion. We can't even say for certain whether this is a homicide case or some type of accident that led to her tragic death. If we look at what happened and took everything at face value, What we have is an 18-year-old girl who, on the spur of the moment, planned a date with a random guy that she had only met hours before at a stoplight in Bradenton. There was drinking involved, and then some type of misadventure occurred that ended with her drowning. But there are a great many details that seem to muddy the water. Torn clothing. Unexplained needle marks in her arm. How or why she would have gone into the water in the first place. Then we have the fact that she told at least two people that a male in a truck had been following her in the days leading up to her death when it appears that the male who picked her up from the park that night was a male in a truck, a white truck. Now we can't say for certain whether the man in the white truck is this same man in a truck who was following her in the days preceding her death but if Lisa was so concerned about the man in the truck following her that she told her overprotective mother about it is it conceivable that she would then run into that same man at a stoplight and decide going out with him was a safe bet? I think Susie had the impression that this was some new person that she had just met, because Susie even said to me, she said, "Lisa, you—it's dangerous to meet someone that you you don't even know to meet up with someone you don't even know," and you know, Lisa was like, "Oh, it's you know, not a big deal," and and then at another point in the conversation, she said, "Did you even ask his name?" and then. She couldn't remember exactly how the conversation went, but she got the name, Keith. And, you know, when I first started looking at this case from just my own lived experience, I thought I was biased. I thought, I don't think she would have gotten into a car with someone she didn't know. And so I was in that mindset. But then one of her friends, another one of her friends reached out to me and said, I think she would have. I There were two occasions I was with Lisa where she we were driving and she was waving at a guy that, um you know, and she waved him down and she got his phone number, a guy she didn't know, right on the street, just to wave him down and she was going to go out with him. So when you know that that is a possibility, then you can't rule it out that just someone that she had just met, that no we don't know, that she had just met that evening. I tried to scare
1: her, especially when she told me about the the truck following her. I tried to, you know, I said, Lisa, make sure you lock your doors. I said, make sure you lock them. Don't let anybody pull pull you over or anything like that or get to somebody or someplace where there's people around that they can protect you and help protect you or something. I trying to, you know, that worried me. And, you know, at first I thought, oh, she's just worrying me trying to worry me. But
0: then I thought, no, at least I wouldn't do that. I don't think she would do that. I think she really had somebody following her. Well, did you put that together when Susie told you what she knew? Did you automatically think, um, she, she was meeting someone in a white truck and she just told me the other day that, that there was someone in a white truck following her. Did you put that together and think it's the same person?
1: Um, no, I don't think I did. No, I, I really
0: don't think I did. And and the reason why I agree with that, I don't think you did, is because when you were at that scene of the car later that evening, when the when you met the police there with the keys, and then you ran into Willie Oliver, you didn't say to the police... You, you said that what he's describing sounds like Brian Irish. You didn't say... You know, her friend said she was meeting some. You know, we were told that she, was, someone was following her in a truck. Someone following her in the days leading up to it essentially sounds like someone stalking her.
1: Yes, yes, definitely.
0: And and I that's did... why I'm wondering: would she have gotten into the person that was following her? Would she then have met at a stoplight and got and and decided, okay, well, he's been following me. Let me see if I'll get, you know, I'll go out with him.
1: I can't say for sure. I would hope not. But she was very, like I I was trying to tell you, she was very outgoing with people. You know, she would talk to people, you know, you know how you train your child not to talk to strangers and not to take their hand or not, you know. Well, she did everything... Like that, she was. You know, she would talk to people and stuff. And I look and think, what you know, when she was little, she was like that,
0: outgoing and
1: stuff. I don't know. I don't know, Jenny, if she would have. Yeah. Done. i Don't know for sure. I couldn't
0: say. And we don't know enough, and that's why I wanted to try to get a hold of Jeff Arnold because I don't know enough about what he, what she told him about this person following her. Like, it's possible someone was following her in her Chuck, but she never got a a look at the person that was following her, like uh, the person. She just knew that there was this truck that kept popping up. And then when she she finally did get a look at him, he didn't appear to be dangerous looking. I mean, look, think about Ted Bundy. He, he was able to fool a lot of women because he was, he had that appearance of being, you know, he would play on their emotions. He would, you know, he pretended to have an injured arm one time. You know what I mean? There are men that are sociopaths that are like that, that are able to be charming and, and, and come off looking cute and whatever. And you're not thinking, you don't, you're don't. you not really aware of that danger. You're not thinking someone would kill me. You might be thinking, you might be getting some weird feeling off of them. But I, I personally remember, I had a lot of gut feelings that I did not listen to when I was young because I was naive. That I should have listened to gut feelings and I didn't, you know, and so you don't even really it's not well honed yet at that age. You're still basically a kid. So
1: that was her. She she was she was having a good time. She was happy. Yeah, she was always pretty much happy. I think don't you think, Dan? Don't you think Lisa was usually happy? Mostly.
0: We've got multiple sightings of a white truck out near Emerson Point from just an hour or so after she left Riverfront Park, then the next afternoon between ten and noon, before the search for her even began, and then another sighting around 8 a.m. the next morning, after her clothing was found the previous day, but before the police made it to Sneed Island and her body was found. We can't say for certain whether any of these white trucks are the white truck that she left Rossi Park in. It would seem strange that if she got into the white truck at around 8.15 or 8.30 that night, that by 9.30 when a white truck is first seen with its door open near the area where her clothing was found, that she would have already been so inebriated that a drowning occurred. Is an hour long enough to become inebriated? I suppose it is if you're chugging straight from a bottle and you're drinking most of that bottle yourself. Or is it possible that she and whoever she was with were down in that area on Sneed Island for an extended period of time that night. One detail that emerged shortly after Lisa's death was that Indian Joe told Lisa's mother that he had heard a female crying or screaming that night. He also mentioned hearing the door of a van slide closed, both presumably coming from the same general direction. We have no idea, though, whether either of these sounds were related to Lisa's death. Their mere existence hangs out there as an unknown, like all of those pieces of rope at the scene. Were those somehow associated with Lisa's death? Or just more garbage left in that area? To me, that wallet and where it was found is a key to this story. The only thing that makes sense about where it was found is that someone headed off the island, tossed it out the driver's side window, as they drove away from the scene, because it was found about a thousand feet east of the area, where her clothing would have been, lying in a ditch. But if you're tossing her wallet, does that indicate that you know she's dead? And why just toss the wallet if you have her whole purse in your car, and what you're trying to do is distance yourself from anything that can connect you to her? Remember, Lisa's purse and the keys to her car that was left at Rossi Park were never found. That makes me wonder if her purse was even with her out near Emerson Point that night, in the vehicle of the person who left her, or if she left it elsewhere. It wasn't found in her car. Mr. Oliver, the witness at the park, didn't mention seeing her with a purse. It's also possible that it was also tossed somewhere else on Sneed Island, just like the wallet, but it was never found. It could have landed in the water and sunk to the bottom. I'm not certain how well they searched the entire island. The report only suggests that the area around the scene was searched. Lisa's purse was described in the handwritten notes of the police file, so I want to tell you what it looked like, just in case it could jog a memory for anyone local who may be listening. So, the purse had two hoops, black, described as plastic or vinyl, and the body of the purse was patchwork-like, with some rust color included. I remember those kinds of purses being popular back then. The handles were like hoops and they were hard, like big circles, and then the bag itself was sewn around the hoops. Does this ring a bell for anyone? There were no signs of struggle at the scene. We now know that the condom is basically trash, unrelated to Lisa's death. Unless there was a group of people out there that night, one of which was another female, which seems less likely considering... Not a single person came forward to say that they were with Lisa that night. And the general rule is that the more people you add to any secret, the more likely it is that that secret will come out. There's a higher chance of someone talking the more people there are to talk. But without that condom, we don't have a scene that has an implicit, consensual encounter attached to it. What we have is a woman with no clothing on who drowned and she got out there somehow, taken by someone for some unknown reason. Could there have been a sexual encounter that night? Sure. But there was no physical evidence to suggest that. A rape kit and exam was done, but she was found in the water, so even if bodily fluids existed, the water may have washed them away. But the area is the thing that I keep focusing on. Were Lisa and her companion or companions headed out to Emerson Point, but they stopped for some reason? One witness saw the truck stopped. He thought around 9.30 with the driver's door open, but the car was facing east, in the direction headed off the island. The next witness said he saw a white pickup truck that he thought was a Ford at around 9.30, around the same time frame, about a quarter to a half mile from the point, and it was driving east. Given the direction of the vehicle in both of these sightings, and the fact that this is a one-way-in, one-way-out road, that white truck had to have been headed west, or toward the point, at some time, and then turned around somewhere to head in the other direction. So how far did that white truck get? Did it ever make it all the way out to the point before turning around? Is it possible that they did make it out to the point, but they were just never seen? But there were people out there around this time, around 9.30, given that we have at least two witnesses that saw the white trucks. An hour later, around 10.30, when that second witness was leaving Emerson Point, he saw a white male, 5'10 to 5'11, 165 to 170 pounds, with a hat, a cap, t-shirt, and a pair of jeans, standing near the edge of the water, looking back, as if he was looking for something or someone. This person was standing near the curve where the body was found, according to this witness. And this curve that he is speaking about would have been further down the road, further east, than where her clothing was actually found. But now that we know that that condom is unrelated to Lisa, I'm starting to look at this spot differently, because there is no indication that Lisa was taken to this spot for some type of sexual encounter, and every reason to believe anything like that could have occurred in the vehicle or any number of other places more appropriate than 250 feet into the woods off the side of the road. I'm starting to wonder if there are other reasons why the driver would have been stopped at that point in the road, facing east when they were headed off the island. Did Lisa ask him to stop? Maybe she felt like she was going to throw up. That's not out of the realm of possibility given her state of inebriation. Maybe she had to pee, or maybe there was something going on in that vehicle that she felt she needed to get away from, and she demanded to be let out of the truck. There are any number of reasons why the car may have stopped, but we do know that it wasn't her car, so the driver of that white truck is most likely the person who physically stopped that vehicle. And I want you to think about those tears in the clothing for a minute. Her mother describes one tear up around the shoulder, and we know there are tears in the skirt, particularly the waistband. What if Lisa did demand to get out of the truck and open the door, and the driver with his right hand grabbed her, grabbed her shirt and it ripped, grabbed her waistband and it ripped? And that's how her clothing got ripped. That still wouldn't explain, though, how her clothing was then completely off her body when she was found. Now a word about the man in the white truck. Let's say, for the purposes of this scenario, all of the white truck sightings in that area of Emerson Point on that Friday night near the scene are the same white truck. What if every sighting was the same person looking for Lisa? Someone who knew she was out there somewhere because either he left her out there or maybe even someone else told him that he'd left her out there. Someone who, by Saturday, had begun to panic because her car was still at Rossi Park, right there where Lisa had walked away from it the night before when she left with him. That's one scenario. Someone went out there with her, something occurred, and for whatever reason he left her out there. Someone who knew that he had screwed up, and screwed up so bad that it's something that could never be fixed. And so that first instinct is to distance himself from anything that had to do with Lisa Beckel, and anything to do with what happened to her. Later, or maybe the next day, when he realized her car was still at the park, he went back to look for her and he panicked. If you're the person that I'm talking about, the person that I'm talking to, the man in the white truck, the last person who was with Lisa Beckel that night, out near Emerson Point, where her body was found floating in the water, If something happened that didn't involve murder, maybe an accident, I'd like to encourage you to come forward. I can't say, and police can't say, that a murder occurred here. We don't know what happened. But what we do know is this. An 18-year-old girl with all of the potential that every one of us had at that age died. And those who loved her, those who knew her, Those who deserve to know the truth. Continue to live with unanswered questions. Please, don't be the person who keeps them from getting those answers out of a simple and base concern for yourself, afraid of what could happen if you tell what you know. We all have to be better than that. Every single one of us has to be better than that. And most of us have done things while drunk that we would not likely do when sober. So there remains the possibility that whatever occurred amounted to an accidental death. Maybe she was drunk and she did jump into that water. Or you guys went skinny dipping and something happened, and and then you left. Frankly, I am gutted to say that that's the best we can all hope for. And that is truly shitty. But do you know what would be even shittier? to leave her family and friends wondering for the rest of their lives if it was something even more horrific. Because that is what they're doing, you know. Every time they think of her, scrolling through all the various evils that girl that they adore may have endured in her final moments, that is what they're doing. They're thinking about the horrible possibilities, and those visions are sliding through their minds with the jagged harshness of a faded real to real movie that ends with that unsettling flap flap of film strip slapping against the machine as the tape escapes the spool. So many of you guys reached out begging me to solve this case, but I can't do that. It's not my job, I'm not qualified, and it is not even within my power to do it. The only people who can do that are the people who know who Lisa Beckel met that night. And that's either a random person she just met in Bradenton at a stoplight, or someone she already knew, and Lisa lied when she spoke to her friend Susie about who she was meeting. I can certainly envision a scenario where she would have lied if she didn't want it getting back to her mother who she was with, that it was someone that she knew, maybe someone that was supplying her with alcohol that night. So now I'm talking to you, again, whoever was with Lisa Beckel that night, because I think it was probably someone local to the area at that time, someone who has been burdened with what happened since then, and may very well be listening. If this was an accident, I have got to assume it's something that you have thought about often over the years. If this was an accident, I have got to assume that you wish you could go back and handle things differently. If this was an accident, I have to assume that you are a better person today than you were when you left Lisa out there that night. And I have to assume you would take it all back in a second, if you could. I have to assume that you have not intentionally left her family and friends to wonder and suffer every day what happened to her. I have to assume if this was an accident, you would do whatever you could today to give her family and friends the answer to those questions. If that's you, I would like to offer you a proposal and I want you to keep this in mind. There is no statute of limitations on murder, but if this wasn't that, if this was some horrible accident or misadventure of some kind, careless, alcohol-related, if you left her there for whatever reason, you cannot today be charged with a crime. There is no crime you could be charged with if this was some accidental situation. The statute of limitations on everything except murder has long since lapsed. So there is nothing that you could say now that would hold you criminally liable for any carelessness that occurred in June of 1990 if this was an accident. So knowing that, knowing that there would be no liability to you if this was an accident, except the liability that we all have to endure when we hold ourselves to account for past mistakes or misdeeds or inflictions of pain upon others. Can you do the right thing now? If you can't come right out and say, I was with her, it was me, and this is what happened. If you can't do that, I'd like to challenge you to do this. Create an anonymous email account and email me. My email is deckerjenny at gmail.com, at gmail.com. Tell me what happened that night. And if you tell me the truth in enough detail, I will be able to confirm that with the known facts and I'll be able to share with the community and everyone who wants to know what actually happened to Lisa Beckel that night. Nobody even has to know who you are. But please give this family some kind of relief if this was just an accident. Please give her friends that still grieve her passing, the courtesy of knowing what happened to her. If you have a conscience, this should not be a difficult ask. I'd like to think you're better today than you were on June 15th, 1990. I'd like to think that we all are. I was given the opportunity to review a journal of sorts, written in Lisa Beckel's own hand, over a short period of time, at the end of 1987, when she was in high school, a couple years before she died. I believe even in death people have a right to privacy so I won't discuss the specific details and incidents that she wrote about. Things that had already been shared with me by people in whom Lisa had confided. But I will tell you what I gleaned about Lisa from them. There were people around her who did not protect her soul. Her young, teenaged barely lived-in soul. People who abused their relationships with her in a way that most certainly was not conducive to a healthy outlook on interpersonal relationships. I believe these individuals changed the person that Lisa was meant to be, and they had a severe impact on the way she viewed the world around her and her own place within it. I believe many of the choices that she made in the last couple of years of her life, most certainly in those last days, were a reflection of and in reaction to how she saw herself through the eyes of those who should have known better than to look upon her in that way at all. This case has left me with such overwhelming sadness. Researching it has been an experience like no other I have had to date. The extraordinary amount of emails and private messages that I have received, as well as comments on my Facebook post, were just the start. I had late-night phone conversations. I got emails that begged me to keep their names out of it, but desperately needed to share their stories and memories of Lisa, about the last times they saw her, the last words she said to them, their last experiences, and sometimes the things that they wondered about this girl that they once knew a girl they needed to know what happened to. I have read emails that describe vivid nightmares about Lisa, deeply sad and disturbing emotions that her friends had about her death, and always the questions. Too many of them described what amounted to, in my layperson's opinion, survivor's guilt, telling me their personal what-ifs, wishing they'd been with her that night blaming themselves for something that was well beyond their control. Unsolved death cases are like a cancer that metastasizes through families and communities, leaving sadness and regret in its wake. People blame themselves. They blame others. This story isn't just Lisa's story. It's a universal one to cases that go cold when all that's left is a huge case file, unanswered questions, And nights when friends and loved ones close their eyes and cannot bear what they see, when the images in their minds transform into that hellscape that are the what-could-have-happened scenarios. What happened to my daughter? What happened to my friend? What happened? It's unspeakably heartbreaking. Very often the why goes unexplained, but in those cases at least we know what occurred. But when you don't even know what happened, the wise aren't within your grasp. There is one fact that is indisputable. Someone, at least one person, knows what happened to Lisa Beckel that night. So I'm asking for her friends. I'm asking for her family. I'm asking for Lisa. Don't abandon her again.
1: I just hope and and pray that there is closure you know for her for her mom's sake because um you know she she deserves she didn't deserve that no and she um she was a good soul
0: if you have any information about the death of lisa beckel please contact the manatee county sheriff's office at 941-747-3011 extension 2526. Music this season courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you all for listening.